<laughs> I have to, uh, as we wrap up here, oh, hi. Uh, I have to uh, talk for a second about uh, Peter Bergman. Okay. Uh, Peter Bergman uh, died uh, this week of leukemia. Huh. And Peter Bergman, uh, if you don't recognize the name, he was Phil Proctor's partner. And Phil Proctor and Peter Bergman, along with um, uh, uh, Phil Austin and uh, Osmond, were, uh, were the Firesign Theater. Oh. And I guess all wow. the Firesign Theater. And Firesign Theater uh, for surreal comedy. And in the history of comedy, and Emory, you do a lot of this stuff on the history of comedy. You know a lot of this stuff. You know, they everything gets kind of folded together with movie comedy, and then it gets stand-up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go your Lenny Bruce, Bob Newhart, George Carlin. You know, you bring that up through there, Kennison. Uh, Bobcat, you bring up all through that whole history, Seinfeld. But um, Fire Sign Theater is never brought up, in my mind, enough in comedy. Right. Cheech and Chong didn't do anything with dope comedy. They're just doing regular drunk right. humor right. just with drugs in place of it. Right. They changed Gorilla to Monkey. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a big deal. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they weren't that not that big. Yeah, yeah. Quite that but big. But are you a big Fireside Theater fan? Fan. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was young enough when Fireside Theater came out. Those records came out. I went right from, kind of from the Smothers Brothers in terms of comedy yeah. to this really surreal yeah. um, uh, Fireside Theater stuff that was made to be heard over and over again. Which is really rare in comedy. Yeah. I mean, people play the George Carlin records over and over again, and the Albert Brooks records over and over again, and the Pryor records. Right. But those are mostly studying comedy. Right. The Firesign Theater records were made to be played over and over again, like Sgt. Pepper's was made to be played over and over right. again. And they're made to be quoted, and you meet people, anybody can do all of Nick Danger, mm-hmm. Don't Crush That Dwarf, Hammy the Pliers. Right brilliant stuff the voices were great and they really took comedy to a very different place and it's 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 a dead end in a certain way you know people ask if there's a lot of groups that have copied Penn and Teller you know there's a lot of Penn and Teller spin-offs a lot of Chris Angel spin-offs a lot right. of David Blaine spin-offs a lot of Copperfield spin-offs not a lot of Penn and Teller spin-offs right. you know what we do is kind of what we do when no one else wants to do it and Firesign Theater not to I mean I, I have now accidentally compared us to Firesign Theater <laughs> and I don't mean to we're not fit to eat shit off their shoes but um Firesign Theater took comedy into this repetition thing, mm-hmm. into this idea thing, mm-hmm. into sur- surrealism. Surreal. Which I'm looking at. I'm looking at Dolly now as I say this. <laughs> Andy Kaufman might have done some of that. That's as close as I think you get, in but the U- not in the, US. in the repetition stuff. That's this right. Stuff they stayed within a fantasy world, whereas uh, Andy Kaufman tried to break into uh, into this is happening in the real world. And Peter Bergman and Phil Proctor, I followed around. Yeah. When I uh, uh, got out of high school and I was homeless and I was hitchhiking around, uh, they had a tour of of, uh, of uh, Proctor and Bergman, mm-hmm. and uh, they toured uh, around the country, D.C., Chicago, different places like that. And I hitchhiked um, to each one of their shows, and I had no money, but I bought tickets. And I saw about five of their shows in a row in different cities. Two men on stage with microphones doing uh, a combination of, uh, of 
almost burlesque, shticky pun stuff, right? Coupled with real surrealism, you know, very much like rock and roll, which was doing really smart stuff built on a really primal beat. Right. You know, same kind of stuff. And uh, I watched five of their shows, and they were kind enough later on to, um, uh, I guess the fifth show I went to in D.C., they invited me backstage. And they were the uh, first professional showbiz people that ever showed me any kindness at all. Mm-hmm. No musicians ever did. No jugglers ever did. Nobody ever did. I was not somebody you'd want to show kindness to. I was an enormous, creepy guy. Uh, and Proctor and Bergman invited me backstage. And uh, I'd said many times, and Phil Proctor, I have not met Peter Bergman since, you know, 19, uh, had not met him since 1975. But Phil Proctor, uh, I got in touch with again when we were on Broadway. I'd said in an interview, I think in Rolling Stone or something, that the best piece of advice that was ever given to me about show business and comedy was given to me by Phil Proctor. I just said that in passing in an Mm -hmm. interview. And I was so thrilled. We were playing Broadway. And after the show, Phil Proctor came up to me and reintroduced himself and said, I saw that interview you did where you said that I gave you a piece of advice that was the most important advice you'd ever gotten and it helped you with your success. Now, you're doing much better than me. (laughs) So carefully now, word for word. (laughs) What did I tell you? (laughs) And I said, you told me if I wanted to be in comedy, I should try to know everything. Nice. And he said, what a useless piece of shit. (laughs) And I said, no, no, it's really – because, you know, Phil Proctor is one of the best educated men you'll ever find. Speaks four languages, five languages. Speaks Russian fluently. Uh, which is, I guess, a subset of speaking for my language. <laughs> um, uh, study Shakespeare. Uh, just a, a, a very Catholic in, in, in all his knowledge mm-hmm. of everything. Right. Uh, and all the Firesign Theater were like that, which is why your references bounce all over the place. You know, They know the Beatles, but also Shakespeare, and they can just mix it all up. And uh, his embracing of knowledge as his first thing to say about comedy is, is pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you ask people uh, what's the first piece of advice you'll give me on comedy, I haven't heard anyone else say no stuff. Right. Don't, I don't care about anything about, you know, speak from your heart. Yeah. Nothing about, you know, try to find the little twists that we all share. Right. Just no stuff. No yeah. stuff. And uh, uh, Peter Bergman and Phil Proctor, you know, Proctor Bergman, Osmond Osmond, uh, Austin Osmond <laughs> Austin was my uh, was my four. And I don't know. I don't know uh, Austin and Osmond at all. Yeah. And I still get emails from Phil Proctor about every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did not know uh, Peter Bergman. But his passing and those records, if you're not familiar with, I think we're all bozos on this bus. Um Maybe you can get them through Amazon. What's that? (laughs) Maybe you can get them through Amazon. (laughs) How to be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all. Uh, Don't crush that dwarf, hand me the pliers. Uh, The voice work on them, the production on them. I think they won Grammys and stuff for production. Uh, All of their stuff is just brilliant and wonderful. And um, Peter Bergman dying is a, uh, you know, it's one of those things uh, I'll never get to. You know, I, I kind of always thought I would spend at least an evening talking to Peter Bergman because I, you know, I should know him through Phil Proctor and knew him from all those years ago and he was such a hero of mine. But um, I didn't. 
So if there's someone you want to meet and want to talk to, uh, do it because uh, we're all going to die. And Peter Bergman, you were a uh, you were a hero to us, and we will miss you. And I'm going to write a little email to uh, to Phil Proctor. In 1967, Peter, speaking of an enlightenment, oh. <laughs> in 1967, you, Citizen Bretman, said, "I'm not enlightened." I wasn't in 1967. That's I, right. I, don't, I wasn't thinking I was enlightened. No, what you said then was that you had dusted your brain a little. Is that right? Yeah. Did I say that? Yes. Well, you that said was that. 1967. <laughs> yes, uh, it was. Senator, now just a second. How come. What all else of a did he say uh, in this year? Uh, well, he went on to say. Yeah, to talk in just a minute. That there are two ways to operate in life. And then, of course, he went on only to talk about one. I like to leave myself open for translation. You see, it's like stereo. I was aware of stereo at that time, though. Everybody was talking. Everybody about was mono. staring at you. That's right. Oh, you kid. What else did I... Anything You'll did have I your chance to speak in just a moment. Yes, you'll have your chance Until to then, speak. Until then, would you put this handkerchief in your mouth? Oh, well... You said, Mr. Bretman, on <laughs> April 11th, 1967, that, and I quote, I do know that within five years there won't be anyone... Not a kid in this country who hasn't tasted marijuana. Not one. That gives you just about a year to go, kids. So do your best. And remember, if you're living in Elkhart County, the offense is punishable by two to ten years in prison, even though the substance in marijuana has been found to be a painkiller. The doctor who performed the experiments refused to be named or even to publish his results, but he fed four men and four women aged 20 to 78 and all considered incurably ill uh, a solution of peppermint-flavored marijuana extract daily. Although the patients still are expected to die, some of them showed stimulation of appetite, euphoria, increased well-being, and an indifference to pain. Well, you know, Phil, it wasn't the marijuana that cured them, it was the peppermint. It's been it's one of the great, great drugs that's been overlooked, of course, because it's yeah. you know, kids. It's natural. It's a natural drug. Right. You never see kids dying of old age, it's because of all the peppermint. Does Charlie have. Manson have a TV in his cell? Uh his, you mean his cells or you mean his where he lives? In, where he well, <laughs> now you really confuse me. You call Which that question do you want me to answer? Yeah. First question or the first question? Either one. Uh, yes. He does. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I've been wondering about that a lot. If he does, I hope he watches Green Acres. Coming up is a wonderful show in which Drobny the Duck, son of a World War II hero, becomes homesick when he's enjoying the hospitality of the Douglases. I saw some great TV back in Goshen when I was there this week. They had this incredible, it was so realistic, it was, uh, it was funny too. It, co- it coincided with that earthquake that you guys had. You know, as you know, I left the day before. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that there was going to be an earthquake. I'm sorry about that. I sent you a postcard, Peter. Did I just I got it, it today. Yeah, after the torrential rains, it was all wet. Yeah. Yeah, but you'd spread that butter over the top so I could right. read it. Still. Apple butter. That's right. Smucker's apple butter. It's made in in Indiana. You know. I go back to Yale with Peter Bergman, and when I first got there, I connected up with the Yale Dramat, and Peter uh, wrote the lyrics for two musicals that I did while I was at Yale. And we maintained a connection after Yale that eventually led to my getting together with him in Los Angeles when I was out there after doing a show called The Amorous Flea, a musical there. And we, uh, I discovered he was the Wizard of Oz doing this late-night talk counterculture phone-in show on KPFK, listener-supported radio. And that's where I started playing with him on the radio, met the other two guys, Phil Austin and David Osman. We discovered we were all fire signs. I'm a Leo. He was a Sagittarian, as is David Osman, and, and Austin's an Aries. So we quite foolishly named ourselves the uh, Oz Fire Sign Theater. 
which later just became the Fireside Theater, and is a constant source of confusion and happiness to many people. Now, patient, you have ten seconds to tell us what you've got and beat the Reaper! I am shaking feverish. I, my, hand, my hands are all... I'm, I'm turning yellow. My, my God, I've got jaundice. Jaundice it is! Give it to So when you first met him, do you remember what you thought about his personality? Yes. I mean, he, he was bursting with creativity and smart as a, a whip uh, and and very uh, gregarious and outgoing constantly all his life. And that, that never changed. He was just a, a, the kind of person that you liked being around because he, he was always in, he was informative and funny. Peter was also very lefty and very opinionated. Yeah, when uh, at Yale he was like a, uh, he got a B.A. in radical ideas, what can I say? He was uh, a Rhodes Scholar at some point. You know, I don't know all of his history, but I know that he was involved in, in studies of labor and politics, and he remained uh, fixated with that vision all his life. Now, according to Wikipedia, it says that Peter claimed to have coined the word love-in yeah, in 1967. Yeah, yeah, he had a, uh, this was part of the promotions for Radio Free Oz, and uh, he had an event in Elysian Park. I participated in it, pretending to be a, a Russian expatriate poet named Yuri Gafnov, and he drew a, a, a huge crowd, thousands of people, but he did, he called it the love-in, coined the phrase so far as I know.